documentaries history insights interviews chef's deep dive welcome listeners we're on episode 12 and this week we're looking into a dickensian of film and the night before christmas i'm recording this can you believe that it's christmas eve so settle down with your cocoa or maybe a glass of sherry put your feet up on the sofa and scratch your big fat belly i'm gonna tell you a story fraught with production problems and arguments here and there this is the Xmas 1988 supernatural dark comedy remake of charles dickens christmas carol starring bill murray and directed by richard superman donner the movie spans generations and sits within the top 20 Xmas films of all time by Empire Magazine. This is Shep's deep dive into Scrooge. Pictures wishes you a hilarious holiday season as Bill Murray gets Scrooge. Oh, I'm having a weird Scrooge. Bahama. Okay, where do we start? So let's introduce some of the people on this film. So it was directed by Richard Donner, who, of course, we know did Goonies, Superman, Omen, and the Lethal Weapon movies. So he's got a good track record there. You've got music, which is spectacular in this film, by Danny Effman, who worked on Tim Burton films like Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands. He also worked on some of the most popular films to date of Fifty Shades of Grey as well. And then you've got Bill Murray. The screenplay was written by Mitch Glazer and Michael Donoghue. Now, Bill Murray hadn't worked for four years. He just wanted to take a hiatus, as a success for Ghostbusters was a bit overwhelming for him at the time. So this film was getting him back into the cinemas and back into people's eyes. He came in and requested a lot of changes to the initial script. This film, as some people might be aware, was fraught with a lot of problems, as there was clashes with Murray and Richard Donner throughout the filming of it. Richard Donner famously said that working with Bill Murray was, and I quote, superbly creative but occasionally difficult. Murray, on the other hand, also in interviews has referenced this movie as being one miserable shot. So he didn't really like it either. Now, because he was working with the script writers who already had this script prepared before he longed on, Bill Murray has got a reputation for doing a lot of improv. He learns the script, he learns the story, and likes to improvise, allowing the director to use whatever takes he wants. Now, Michael Donoghue said, and this is a quote directly from him, We wrote a fucking masterpiece. We wrote It Happened One Night, 1934. We wrote a story that would make you both laugh and cry. You would have wanted to share it with your grandchildren every fucking Christmas for the next 100 years. The finished film is a piece of unadulterated, unimagined 
shit. By the sounds of it, he didn't like it. I like the film, and it's one of my brother's favourite films as well for, to sit and watch at Christmas. The film didn't win that many awards, and the makeup artist was up for an Academy Award, but lost to Beetlejuice, which coincidentally, Beetlejuice, being by Tim Burton, also did had the music again by Danny Elfman. That guy was busy that year, wasn't he? The film's score and soundtrack isn't a musical, but it is littered with some little gems in there. And here is Sweetest Thing, which is done by U2, but in my eyes some miles better by the new Voices of Freedom. And this appears in the film as well. We all know the tale of the Christmas Carol and this film is about a young TV executive trying to get his way all the way up to the top by ridiculing and punishing the people around him and underneath him forgetting about humanity or empathy. This sadly was panned by the critics even though it reached number one spot in the USA knocking off Land Before Time. The critics said it was a bit too mean-spirited. In my view, have they ever read a Charles Dickens novel? My God, if you pick one of those up, it's always dark and the dangers of humanity's soul gets lost in a lack of you empathy. That's all it's about. From Oliver and Great Expectations and Christmas Carol, they all show humanity in their nastiest form and then brings them out to a glorious ending. Just like this film. There's parts of the film which are both touching and then there's other parts which is full on Three Stooges slapstick comedy. Especially the part where the fairy, the folk, the ghost of Christmas presents comes in. Painfully, this scene in the movie where she slaps him around and grabs his bottom lip, yanking it, actually ripped part of his bottom lip and production had to stop for a couple of days while Murray got it mended. Do you mend a lip? Got it fixed. Made it feel better. Use a little bit of ointment. Anyway, two days for a pulled lip. I said the critics panned it simply because of these dark or violent images on the film. Washington Post quoting this will not become a Christmas classic even though in many people's eyes it most certainly is 30 years on and still going strong. Empire Magazine at the time quoted to saying Bill Murray's character is a complete bastard. Well therefore I think he's done his job because he's supposed to be a complete bastard and he comes across perfectly in that setting. Ships Trivia! Trivia! 
familiar. Ships trivia. Bill Murray taking his art to extreme, as just said, he got his lip ripped. He also took an allergic reaction to the fake snow they had on set and was very ill. And the scene where he comes out in the restaurant after throwing water on the waiter and falls over wasn't planned for. He actually did fall over. All of Bill Murray's acting brothers are in the film. John Murray, Joe Murray and Brian Doyle Murray appeared in the movie. John is the only one that actually played his on-screen brother. Filming began in December 1987 with Christmas Approaching. Director Richard Donner asked the production company can he have the Christmas day off, but Paramount Pictures executives refused. What bastards! Anyway, Donner, being a nice guy and didn't want to be put down as a Scrooge, fired everyone on the film. Then, allowed them to have the Christmas day with their family, he rehired them all so they could blend Christmas. What a nice guy. One of the special appearances in the movie was the legendary actor John Houseman. He's the one who sat there, supposed to be reading Charles Dickens. The old dude. He just blabbles on with himself. Anyway, sadly he died on October 31, 1988, less than a month before the movie was released. Frank, to get the audience in the movie theatre to participate, you know the bit at the end where he's saying, Men, no, the real men, women, no, the real women, that long monologue was totally ad-libbed. Richard Donner just let it roll and see what Bill could come up with. Perfection. Movie critic Roger Ebert said this is the worst film adaption of A Christmas Carol he had ever seen. Roger Ebert, you sound like a bit of a tosser. I know, I'm going on a lot about Bill Murray, but this was Bill Murray's comeback. This was his film after Ghostbusters. This was the one what was going to get him out there again and it certainly did becoming number one and doing really well across the world doubling its money from 32 million budget and made over 60 million and still gets played as said in tvs and people got dvds i'm sure many vhs's were bought of it as well talking about dvds see how i did that little side segue there Anyway, back in 2005, it was announced by Paramount Pictures that in 2006, there was going to drop a full DVD with extra footage, commentary from Richard Donner, documentary about Bill on set and other exciting extras. 2006 came and went and nobody heard anything about it. Paramount Pictures even went as far as promoting this DVD in magazines showing the cover of the DVD. Who knows if this will ever be released because fans want it. Come on Paramount, dig it out. One of the big clashes on the film was the fact that Bill Murray wanted a more love angle with the actress Karen Allen who played Claire Phillips. There's some tender moments in the film where it goes Christmas past and you see him growing up with Claire and they're in a the little apartment there and even though they're a bit poor, they're still loving each other and I think what Bill wanted was to expand more on that, to show his love, to show that he had that kind of side once and therefore again near the end. It's a shame because Bill Murray said most of it was cut up in the editing room and left on the floor. We'll never know. But it's a nice song what accompanies that flashback. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. 
Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Yuletide carols being sung by a choir. Folks dressed up like Eskimos. Everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe. Really helps to make the season bright. Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow will find it hard to sleep tonight. They know that Santa's on his way. He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on... The film has an array of well-established actors, just as Bobcat Goldthwait, who plays Elliot, and he delivers his trademark high-pitched voice within the film. You also got, as said, Karen Allen, Bill Murray, John Forsyth and John Glover. Also, Miles Davis makes an appearance, but one actor who even Richard Donner didn't think would be able to get was Robert Mitchum. He comes in with this little tidbit. Now, I have here a study from Hampstead University which shows us that cats and dogs are beginning to watch television. Now, if these scientists are right, we should start programming right now. You see, this was written for the comedy aspect of the film to show how wacky the leader or the head or whatever it is, director of the company is. Little did they know at the time who written this this became a reality. In 2015, Rocco started producing programs aimed just at animals, cats and dogs, and other networks joined in. Yep, you can sit your cat and dog in front of certain TV channels and it appeals to them. And what would you think the ghosts of Christmas past would say about that? Go back to Jersey, you moron! <laughs> And that was David Johansson from the New York Dolls with his glutteral, smoky, New York, happy, wild taxi driver he played as the gross ghost of Christmas past. Apparently, his old bandmate Arthur Kane got himself in such a jealous rage while watching it, he nearly jumped out of his bedroom window after having a fight with his wife. The three ghosts are some of the most memorable characters ever seen in the movies. The human characters are also very interesting and entertaining. The filmmakers write each character provoking empathy and captivation. They are wonderfully portrayed as well. Each scene relates to the next with a strong supportive narrative line going all the way through it. With the help of Bill Murray and the original writers, we get a complete film. No matter what Bill Murray says, all the original writers and however it was going to be portrayed or sent to our screens, we have a complete movie, Scrooged. Definitely fits into the comedy genre and offers copious amounts of laugh out loud material. There's even dialogue and sight gags that provoke laughter. On the other hand, the film doesn't lose track of the message by being all over the wall, slapstick silliness. It leaves room for emotions and feeling present. For this type of comedy to work, the humour needs to be played accurately. 
Some scenes involved the past of Frank are quite emotional and the filmmakers use this to their advantage to develop Frank's character even further. Scrooge may be a spoof but if it still holds true to the classic story it's based on it's a winner. It's a mesmerizing blend of perfect set direction and colorful atmosphere. Do you like that? I've written that. From the hilarious opening involving Santa Claus and Lee Majors. I say no more. It's brilliant. Oh, by the way, a little tidbit here. The actual M16 gun, or I might have that wrong with the actual gun type. The gun which Lee Majors is holding in Santa Claus is the actual one used in Predator. There's a little trivia for you. To the wonderful ending of the movie delivers a non-stop fun pure entertainment with a nice love story. The soundtrack is very effective as well with the memorable tunes and voiceless melodies. You can sort of hear that in the background now. The closing, the closing scene of Scrooge may feel a little contrived and fake. But it also allows us to leave the theatre with joyful happiness inside. If this film doesn't put you in a Christmas spirit, nothing will, believe me. So, as the wind and rain batters my windows, and as Yule time is now over for another year, this is now Boxing Day, which is an extra day we have, those American fans, and I'm finishing off this recording. I do hope all had a great Xmas and don't worry or worry as there'll be more of my podcast to come in the new year. This has been Shep's deep dive into Scrooge, my special for my brother. I now leave you with a chin wobbling part of the film where little Calvin, son of Frank Cross's highly put on struggling single mum secretary, son utters his first words in five years. Plus, get ready to sing along to the finale. Have a Merry Christmas, everybody. Did I forget something, big man? God bless us, everyone. Thank you for listening. I'll be back in the new year. Let's Shepsteed Dive. Come on.
Come on, let's hear it from this side of the theater. Come on, just over here. All right. All right, that's no good. Come on, let's try the other side of the theater. Come on. Well, that, all right, how about just the men? Come on, just the men. All right, the real men. Let's hear the real men. All right, all right. All right, the women. The women now this time. No, the real women. The real women. You know who you are. Are right, you? Who's making all the noise through the whole movie? My brother, the king of Christmas. <laughs> 